Hello, my name is Ryan Broderick, and welcome to The Content Minds. I just got back from Miami, and I am very sunburned and very tired, but I feel like my third eye has been opened with regards to the wonderful investment opportunity that is Bitcoin. I hope you own so much Bitcoin now. Hi, I'm Luke. I have not been at a Bitcoin convention because I have a, a, a job and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I just, I really, really hope you own a bunch of Bitcoin. Yeah, man. I'm just like trying to stockpile enough Bitcoin so that I can set up my own country on an island somewhere because that's the dream. That's the dream that Bitcoin provides us. Is that the dream that everyone at the Bitcoin convention has, their own country? Well, I will answer that in just a second. Let's hit the theme song. This week, we are finishing up our series on cryptocurrency for now. I'm going to be uh, regaling you with all the things that I've learned from a week in Miami at a Bitcoin convention. But before we get to that, Luke, how is the internet this week? Uh, I think that the internet this week has been... God, I really have run out of adjectives for this. Uh, the internet this week has been mostly kind of chill. Like, I don't think it's been that wild. I would say it was, it felt, I'm I'm catching up on what I've missed, but it feels chill. It feels like I didn't miss that much. No, nothing, nothing like particularly wild happened. Yeah, like, it felt like all the interesting stuff happened offline and the internet did not do a lot with it. Like what? Uh, I mean, all the new stuff is still like, I don't know, Ukraine and shit. I, I'm trying to think of anything really interesting in the internet happened. I guess the only interesting thing that in, internet-wise that happened is Elon Musk not joining Twitter. Yeah, that's kind of it. I guess we should. I guess we should put a cap on that one because, like, we did talk about it last week, and that was a. a it's a. It's a hilarious thing where it's like that is just one week that didn't matter, and we all like got like. I guess that's my big takeaway actually from this whole thing is that like, Elon Musk is at a level of wealth where everything he does is newsworthy, even if it means nothing. So he just like decided to like mess with everyone's lives for like a week and then moved on and it doesn't mean anything. I think there's a little more coming. Nope. You don't think? Oh, wait. So what do you mean? Do you think that like this was like some part of some master plan? Yeah. I mean, the big thing, the fact that everyone from the Twitter board were like, yeah, okay, welcome to the board, yada, yada, job done, is relevant. And the fact that they then didn't, Okay, look, there is a problem. Like, A, he absolutely broke SEC regulations by doing what he did. Like, 100%. You know that. Yeah. So I think that the fact that that happened means, I don't know, I don't know what the, the, the right way to put it is, but there's something weird going on there. Something, I don't want to say fishy because that's not quite right, but certainly something that's a problem. Uh, and I think the fact that if he is not on the board, I believe he can buy more stock. That is the thing. And that is that, the thing that it's very hard to get away from. That That is my take on it as well. I also just think that like maybe he doesn't want the uh, the work of being on the board of Twitter. But I, but I think the main thing is that like 
So for people who who like weren't really following this very closely, if he's not on the board, he can buy more stock. But if he is on the board, he can't. And that lasts, I think, for 90 days after he leaves, if he were mm. to have even joined in the first place, which he didn't technically do. Yeah. The fact that he deleted all of his trolley tweets is super interesting to me. And that makes me like that feels more real. In some way, it makes me feel like he's more real about this because he's cleaning up whatever he was doing over the weekend. Yeah, see, yeah, there's, some, there's something there. I don't know what it is. I don't know why he would possibly want to own Twitter. Like, we made jokes about it last week, the idea that he owns like his means of production and his means of keeping the Tesla stock market value high. But obviously, it doesn't actually make sense. And I don't... I don't know, man. Maybe he is just insanely wealthy and bored, and that kind of... Maybe that's the entire thing. Possible. I, I don't think it's totally crazy to believe that rich people can be just as addicted to Twitter as not rich people. Yeah. I think there's a very good possibility that he wants to be involved with Twitter because he can't stop using Twitter. I mean, I guess that's as good a guess as any. I don't... (laughs) I just... I really hope that's not it. I really that's that's like the worst. You, you wait. You would rather it be some sort of nefarious scheme than just. Yes, I would. I would. I would because like then there's like a thing behind it. But if it's just like a bored person who is causing all of this because he is so rich that he cannot do anything without it mattering, it's the it's the worst. I'm sorry. That's not good. That's not fun. That's not anything. Well, we've reached a level of billionaires where they can act like medieval kings, and isn't that exactly what a medieval king would do? Just random yeah. bullshit for a whim, isn't that? Yeah. Isn't that like most of your country's history is just yeah, insanely wealthy people doing bad things for no reason and no yes. oversight? Yes, and it was bad, and yeah, we well, stopped we're, that. We're, we're back. We're back at that period now. So, in many ways, like the end of American history was just recreating uh, George the Fifth. Shit, and which George was it? Which, I guess. Which, which king did you rebel against? I saw a lot of people saying, well, what if Elon Musk uses this to run for president? And then a lot of other people saying, well, he can't run for president. He's not an American citizen, wasn't born in America. And then even more people saying it, it won't matter because Trump has eroded the rule of law to such a, such a degree that it's not crazy to believe that Elon Musk could run for president, especially if he had the power of Twitter behind him. It was George III. What we're, sure. here, what we're saying here is Elon Musk is the new George III. Well, who, who, I mean, who was who was incidentally bipolar? Well, I think we'll get into this, you know, in our bigger section this week because I have lots of thoughts now about feudalism because of the Bitcoin convention. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think it is not totally crazy to start to line up the insane and erratic behavior of billionaires with medieval kings. It's the same idea. That makes sense. And you know, below that, there's like feudal lords who are just. Not billion. Well, they're, they're normal billionaires, not hundred billionaires. Uh, and then below that, you have uh, I don't know the gentry, who I guess are regular hundred billionaires. Right. And then below that are the serfs, like us. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's probably a way to think about it. I think okay. I think if there was a nefarious plan there, I think a lot of Elon Musk's behavior is very complicated to look at from the outside because it's masking like three layers of wants and desires. 
politically, like we really still don't have a great idea of what he wants long term. No. Other than more money and more power and more influence and to leave Earth, I suppose, if we take him at face value. How does Twitter fit into that? I think he really is a kind of person who believes in the power of propaganda, the power of social lift, the power of virality. He was a guy who used the viral internet during the TED Talk boom to essentially reshape him as a, 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 a thought leader. His whole, like, is reality a simulation conversation that went viral on podcasts? Like, he understands that, I think, better than anybody. The thing is, is here's one of a very unusual class of people in that he has, you can make a reasonable argument here, not built anything while it was hard to build it. Like, and that's not a, 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 a in a way that like Zuckerberg or Bezos or whatever have had a company when it was small, it kind of feels like he never did. He had a bit of money that went into it and then created PayPal and or, or didn't, I didn't even invented paypal did he he was just like vaguely involved in it and then he's a billionaire no elon musk hasn't invented anything he is not an inventor he's not really much of a visionary in a scientific sense he's a man who's extremely good at personal branding and has money yeah and he yeah and paypal was something that made a vast quantity of money and i don't really think he ever like ran it I'm pretty sure he got replaced at PayPal, but just held on to a huge amount of stock. Makes sense to me. I I also, okay, if we take him at his, like, if we give him as much credit as I'm willing to give him to sketch out what he would want with Twitter, I do think there's a version where he sees Twitter as a way to create a story that is good enough to help him get to Mars, to create this sort of groundswell movement of people who are willing to essentially put their lives on the line and sacrifice their lives to help him leave the earth. Yeah. And I think he understands that the best way to hijack narratives of culture right now is through Twitter. And that's why he's interested in it. I I think that's that it would, that would be the most amount of credit I'm willing to give him. I mean, to be crystal clear, the earth would be better without Elon Musk on it. I just. Sure. But the, the thousands, if not millions of people who would die in a vacuum of space trying to get this man to Mars, <laughs> I don't think is worth it. That's reasonable. But yeah, so that's 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 about as far as I'm willing to take that thought experiment because I, I also just don't want to give him a lot of I don't wanna I don't wanna feed into this idea that he's a genius. And I think it's just as likely that he's like a recently broken up with man in his fifties or whatever who really loves to shitpost. And is fascinated by Twitter because he likes the attention. Yeah, I mean, that does kind of cover the whole thing. But I just, I don't understand why he would be so into the, why is he so into Twitter? I don't know. I just, oh God. He also has that kind of personality that makes a lot of sense where he would say like, I'm joining the board and I'm going to mess with them because I don't care. And all my friends are going to laugh about it. And then I'm going to leave. It's like a frat guy mentality, but on the, like a nerdy frat guy mentality. Yeah, it's almost people keep making fun of me on Twitter, so I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. And it's like, but it sounds like he doesn't own the ball, so he's instead bought the ball and the pitch and the school that you're playing, playing the game in. And now it's like, ha, huh, now I am the king of the game. And it's like, well, I just guess. To pro- just to prove that he could be the king of the game. Yeah. I honestly think it's the same as any other sort of like dominance move. It's about like proving he could do it, which is insanely annoying. <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> I mean, what's what's Twitter worth? Thirty-seven billion. I mean, he has to spend an awful lot to get to that point. Like that is a lot. Oh, what to to buy the whole company? Yeah, like like even to take really a significant amount of control. He is he is spending like a significant proportion of his wealth. I because I think he just has a crippling addiction to Twitter. Yeah, I mean that. Oh God. Oh, if I was a billionaire, I mean, I would do the same thing, which is the, the real troubling thing. Well, that's a fantastic transition into our main topic this week, which is an exciting technological opportunity that will turn all of us into millionaires with no downsides. Are you awesome. ready to talk about Bitcoin? Oh, Bitcoin. Interesting. Didn't realize it was going. Yes. Okay, let's do this. Okay, let's get into it. So, Luke, did you know that Ethereum is for woke people? Uh, sure. Okay. I mean... That was one uh, of many things I learned this week. So, if you haven't been following my journey into the dark heart of cryptocurrency, myself and my dad, who is a consumer-level investor in Bitcoin, he uses Coinbase or Robinhood or something, we went down to Miami and I went to Bitcoin 2022, which is the world's largest Bitcoin convention. I saw Jordan B. Peterson speak live, and I attended a panel about the meme wars, which had several financial groups, shit posters in chief uh, there. And I also listened to Aaron Rodgers talk about stacking sats, which is a term for stacking satoshis, which is a fraction of a Bitcoin. That's what you call a fraction of a Bitcoin, a satoshi. That is, I mean, of course, Aaron Rodgers is a Bitcoin guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, also Serena Williams, turns out. Oh. Well, I mean, that makes sense because of uh, Alexis uh, Hanian. That's right. I'm not surprised. If- she also really likes uh, technological investment opportunities for developing countries. So there's sort of a, an angle there. I mean, I can't believe that after all this time, like Aaron Rodgers was like the good guy version of Tom Brady. And somehow now he's the bad version. Yeah, he's crazy. All this time we thought that he was the Mario and it turns out he's actually the Wario. He, 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 he exudes such powerful, like Hunter Biden energy. He, (laughs) he just, he's got that vibe to him, you know, but no, I learned a lot. I learned, I met a lot of people who uh, have built rigs to mine Bitcoin in their house, which seems very dangerous. That does. It was also the only tech conference I've ever been to that had a full liquor bar almost every 10 feet. It was the uh, most amount of liquor I've ever seen at a at a tech conference. Yeah, like not a free bar, I'm assuming. Like a nothing is free in Miami, Luke. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. Also, booth babes. I forgot that was a thing that existed, but it definitely exists for the Bitcoin community. Ugh, okay. All right. All right. Well, let's go through this. Let's go through this day by day, shall we? Okay. Yeah. That's how a many, good. That's how, a good how many? How many days were you there? I was. <laughs> I was there for four days. That's a lot of days. I know. Okay. I mean, I think that's I think that's actually going to be longer than my 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 quote unquote stack do, which yeah, is possible. Wow. We got we got to talk about that after the show, by the way. We do. So, we do. okay, so day zero was called Industry Day, and that's <sighs> okay, right. Not really much of a day. It's just uh, it's vendors setting up. Uh, journalists weren't even really allowed in. Uh, it was also you, the uh, day. Sorry, to be clear, you were there as a journalist, right? You weren't a 
a punter? I, I had a media pass, yeah. Okay, cool. That first day, that industry day, was also the day that Mayor Suarez, the mayor of Miami, revealed the Miami Bull, which is a robot bull statue that weighs, I think, 3,000 pounds and is a tribute to Bitcoin maximalism in Miami. I'm sorry, but that is also not a huge amount for a robot bull to weigh. What does a normal bull weigh? Like a live bull? Yeah. Are you you think that this statue weighs less than a real bull? Uh, a mature bull weighs between 1,000 and 4,000 pounds. Okay, well, the Wall Street bull, which is what this is modeled off of, weighs 7,000 pounds. I had to look this up. So it is a smaller version. Uh, honestly, it's an amazing metaphor for Bitcoin that is both smaller than the Wall Street version of it that it's trying to emulate and also a real bull. And also, yeah, it's, it's smaller than the traditional finance version and weaker than the real thing. Yes. Good. Yes. Right. Bitcoin. So... That's what that was. So day day one, not really much happened. Uh, I was there kind of milling about the outside, but that was kind of it. Day okay. two, that's when that's when everything gets really interesting. What happens on day two? So day two, that's when I saw Aaron Rodgers, Serena Williams, and Odell Beckham Jr. speak about how they invest in Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> that's when... Peter Thiel threatened to kill Warren Buffett, basically, on stage. Did you hear about this? Good, good, good. good. I did not hear about this. Uh, what was the quote? Let me get the quote. Because I, I don't want to say anything about Peter Thiel that isn't totally, <laughs> totally real and happened. Because uh, I cannot afford that. So Peter Thiel called Warren Buffett a sociopathic grandpa from Omaha. Okay. I mean, I... And then, and then declared war against the finance gerontocracy. I mean, that is that is fair. Like, I mean, actually, m- most of the stuff he said there is reasonable. Warren Buffett is a grandpa, is from Omaha, sociopathic. I mean, he's a finance guy, so even how, even though he's the nice finance guy, he's still a sociopath. Yeah. And gerontocracy. I mean, yeah, that is the problem. So he makes a lot of good points. I think. I did read a thing recently that Jimmy Buffett and Warren Buffett all go to an island for everyone named Buffett. And they did do a DNA test to discover they're not related, but apparently every Buffett in the world is invited to Warren Buffett's island to hang out. That's okay. Fun. Fun. Yeah. Sounds good. So I didn't learn that at the concert. That was just something I, I read. I read a lot about Margaritaville. I'm a big, I'm a big Jimmy Buffett <laughs> follower. So that happened on day one. Also on day one, which I thought was interesting, was that uh, Ricardo Salinas Pligo, the third richest man in Mexico, he basically put like a bunch of like banking people's pictures up on a screen with devil horns on them. And more than one of them was Jewish. So that was, yeah, there was a lot of that um, at this conference because there was, so there there's, there's two major sections of the conference. There was like the main stage, which was called the Satoshi stage, which was wild because it had message board posts from Satoshi Nakamoto on it, which were all very mundane. I thought that was very funny. But then the other room was the expo, and that had all kinds of crazy bullshit and the booth That's like, that's like the alternative stage. No, no, no. It was like a convention room, basically. Okay, but like if it was a festival, that would be the alternative stage, where all the sure. like weird shit happens. But there's no stage. It's just, it's just vendors and booths. Sure, it's like Comic-Con. Okay. So it had a giant, although it did have a giant volcano and David Portnoy from Barcelona Sports was there briefly. Of course. Walking around. <laughs> I mean, why would he not be? I can't imagine anyone more likely to be there. Well, people got pissed at him because he bailed on the talk that he was supposed to give on the Satoshi stage. Great. Good. 
Yeah, sure. So in the back of that expo room was the bazaar. And that's where I saw a man getting a Pepe the Frog tattoo, a real one, because there was a tattoo parlor back there. And also a bunch of anti-Semitic artwork. He was getting a tattoo of it or just the anti-Semitic artwork was also there? It was just all, it was like you could, you could rent, like if you were a local Bitcoin enthusiastic artist, you could rent a booth and sell your artwork there. Okay. So, so where do you think on the, the spectrum of the anti-Semitism of the whole thing, it fits? Uh, Is it, is it, is it all bankers are evil because they're Jewish or is it, is it more on the, on, on the, all the bankers are evil and they happen to be Jewish or is it somewhere in between? So I will say I didn't see any swastikas. I didn't see. Hey, hey, it's a Bitcoin convention, man. In my in Florida, I think I think that's like a victory, right? Like I didn't see. That's any true. That's progress. Yeah. So I didn't see any of that. Although you, you could make the case that in certain contexts, a Pepe the Frog tattoo is a swastika. Well, okay. So this particular Pepe, I tweeted this picture. This Pepe was dressed up like the Fonz. I think that's. I think. I think. I don't know. I think that's anti-Irish because it's like it's a, it's a, fasc, it's a fascist Italian. So it's like. It's anti-Irish, surely. Okay, well, that's I'm not even going to bother unpacking that because we got a lot to go through here. Okay, so there was a lot of okay. This was the really weird art trend there, actually, which was there were multiple pictures of Frida Kahlo, but with Bitcoin shit on her. I mean, ah, oh, so I, that does sound right because I'm guessing that what this is is that none of them care about art or know what art is or think there's anything, but they know that that like bit of art it's like that's a vaguely iconic thing i guess like i i if i was a bitcoin maximalist would not be using a picture of a world famous communist as the the thing that i would use to express my love of bitcoin sure but sure whatever there was an art gallery also which did so the one thing i did learn is that like so bitcoin people hate anything that isn't bitcoin so they hate nfts interesting that's good. In fact, at one point when I was in Miami, I was like on my patio of where I was staying and a plane flew by with a message on it on a banner that was like, fuck board apes. Wow. Okay. That's fun. That is, that is fun. I mean, I, I like that they hate board apes. They I hate, sh- they hate a lot of that. In fact, there was booze routinely for Ethereum stuff. They talk about shit coins all the time. They don't like these people really believe that Bitcoin is the only thing that matters. Okay, so it was very much not a crypto convention. It was a Bitcoin convention. It is. It's Bitcoin 2022. That's why it's called. Yeah. There's, okay. And and I, I guess I was naive. I just sort of assumed like, because I see the world of blockchain stuff as one world, I assumed everyone inside of that world viewed themselves as part of the same community, but there was no mention of Web3. There was no mention of nfts or tokens or DAOs or any of what i find actually interesting about blockchain stuff it was simply about bitcoin which is why it was actually insanely boring that's really interesting because that, that that is yeah it's like getting into a, a yeah world that you kind of don't know anything about and it turns out that the divisions within that world are like significantly greater than you would have thought yeah it's- it would be like if you went to comic-con and you there was nothing about DC and it was only Marvel and you were expecting to like also see some Batman stuff. Yeah, right. It's always like going to a circus and discovering the clowns and the acrobats hate each other. You're like, you guys are on the same team, surely. And it's like, oh, right. it turns out they hate each other. Okay, I didn't they know They hate thing. each other. And they don't see each other on the same team because Bitcoin people are after a very specifically different thing than Ethereum people, which we'll get to. So okay. to finish out the day uh, on day one, I listened to the meme team. It was awful. A man named American Hoddle talked to 
a bunch of guys about how they make Twitter memes. One guy was very proud that he Jesus was the guy who Christ. came up with the laser eyes meme. He's like, yeah, I invented the laser eyes meme. No, you didn't. Maybe he did. Like, maybe he didn't. Sorry. I don't know. I'm sorry. I, bollocks. I don't, like, don't buy it. Well, they didn't make it. They appropriated those memes from outside of the community to bring them into the community. And then they oh, took credit okay. for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. cool. I, I'm the person who appropriated that thing. Yeah, that's much more believable. Yeah, exactly. And in terms of day one, the Dave Portnoy dropping out thing, that was kind of like the big story. And instead, the people who stuck around were a bunch of people who had worked very recently for Russia Today and ranted and raved about cancel culture for a while. And then I, I left because I was like, this is insanely boring. That was the other thing is the amount of panels that started with one topic and then just devolved into them bitching about cancel culture was basically 100%. That is fascinating. And I don't know if that's inevitable or not, but I mean, I don't know. Like, it's such a... It's 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 hard to know whether or not Bitcoin people have ended up as a Bitcoin people because they have been driven out of everywhere else, or they've been driven out of everywhere else because they're Bitcoin people. Well, but everyone ends up in the same spot. We'll get to it, but there is a de- there there is a lack of unifying. So, the Bitcoin movement in general actually reminds me a ton of Occupy Wall Street or Anonymous. Where actually Occupy Wall Street is a really good example. Where I, I went to uh, an Occupy. I went to Occupy in Zuccotti Park. It was the day that I got arrested. We've talked about I, it. I went. I, I went to Occupy outside St. Paul's. It was less dramatic. And it's a it's a really weird mix of people at the time because it was hippies, it was leftists, it was liberals, and kind of a bunch of weird libertarian nerds who didn't really fit in with anyone else there. And there was really no cohesion to it because there was no one in charge. And Bitcoin has a lot of the same problems. And the closest thing that I've seen Bitcoiners articulate to some sort of cohesive thing that they care about beyond Bitcoin is cancel culture. Because it's I think it's I think it's buzzy. I think the overwhelmingly white male crowd can can understand it. And I think it locks in with their idea of financial sovereignty, personal sovereignty, freedom. There's a lot of a lot of stuff left over from the manosphere in the Bitcoin world. Oof. Yeah. So it, it gets pretty toxic. I mean that's interesting. So, so would you say that the 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 there is a central philosophy behind most of the people there, which is financial sovereignty and all that stuff, but that it's sort of boring, and therefore they end up picking up on some more juicy issues like cancel culture. Okay, well let, let's get into it. So let's let's go to a new segment and let's talk about day two and when I learn what Bitcoin people really want and why I'm fucking terrified of them now. <laughs> All right, let's do this. What happened on day two? So day two, the big the big thing of day two. Hold on, hold on. Was, hold on. We, we, we need we need we need a an inter interstitial. We need an interval here. How is your dad doing at this point? Was he oh. vibing? Did you have some like good food? What was what was up? My dad's doing great. My dad had a great time. He had a great he had a ton of food. He met a lot of people around the city. Drank a lot of margaritas. And he did routinely ask me questions like, what's wrong with that person? Or why are they talking like that? Or who is Ben (laughs) Shapiro? But those things were kind of uh, secondary to his overall enjoyment. I think of one being out of the house. You know, he's a retired guy who spent most of COVID just sort of doing nothing around our small town. He loves Miami. And he's a guy who like, I don't know, he's a boomer who, who came of age you know, he, he was born in 1949, so he was like in his 30s during the 80s. So 
you know, he doesn't mind a scam. He doesn't mind a pyramid scheme. <laughs> He's kind of excited by it. He's, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's fun to be part of it. Sometimes it's fun to run it. You know, mix it up. He's he's been involved in real estate. And he's owned an antique store. He sold Arabian horses for a while. He's like a guy who loves a good scheme. He, you know, he bought property in Belize last year and flew down to check it out during the pandemic. So he's not someone who's really scared of that stuff. Yeah. So he was having a good time. He was having a good time. So day two, the big banner moment is Jordan B. Peterson speaking, who hilariously is kind of anti-Bitcoin and kind of pissed people off. That's really funny. You need to do, you need to talk me through this because that's incredibly funny. So Jordan B. Peterson, they loved him. He was he was he was honestly the biggest speaker of the entire event. There was a standing ovation for him when he walked on stage, and then he proceeded to kind of piss everybody off because he said, "Well, you know, ever since we got rid of the gold standard, it hasn't been catastrophic for society. So I'm not totally sure we need scarcity, and also." Everyone who's part of a movement believes that that movement will be perfect in the future. And we know that that's not true. And as a social scientist, I think it's worth thinking about, well, what are the bloody bad complications for your new movement? You know, you bet bloody well prepared for that inevitable downside. Yeah, so he's basically just saying, like, <laughs> you should be more reasonable about the idea of, over, you know, overthrowing every single government on Earth and destroying every bank. And that is the perfect lead up for what these people want, the horrifying conclusion uh, that I've come away with. So you asked what Bitcoiners care about, what do they believe in? Bitcoin maximalists, which is the the, the term for these people, these people who believe that Bitcoin is the only cryptocurrency that matters, the only currency that matters, they have a almost religious belief in a, in a rapture that they call hyper-Bitcoinization, which they believe is about to start. Have you heard this Ooh, term? No, but hyper-Bitcoinization, I'm going to take a wild guess, came around about the same time as hyper-normalization. Possible, but hyper-Bitcoinization is the term that they use for the moment in the, in the near future in which Bitcoin replaces every other currency on Earth. <sighs> okay. And they believe that they are hoarding Bitcoin now to prepare themselves for hyper-Bitcoinization so that they can then loan their Bitcoin out to people who do not buy it now. Okay. okay. Oh, that is so fucking insane. The result of that, right, is that what they're saying is that Bitcoin is going to become the dominant currency, the dominant thing that runs the world. Fine. Okay. That's, that's your vibe. But if your vibe is also, I'm going to not use my Bitcoin until that happens. It is essentially a more complicated version of pure like investment Bitcoiners, like people who are doing it purely to, you know, get it up 10 times and then and then bail. But it is a pure version of that. But it is someone who is actually specifically working to not achieve the thing that they are working to achieve. Because if every single person who has Bitcoin becomes a Bitcoin maximalist, Bitcoin Hyper Bitcoinization doesn't come about. Right. So hold on. There's That's more to great. it. That's so, so good. The missing piece that I really didn't understand until I spent a lot of time with these people is that a lot of them believe that. Uh, okay. I know. I, I I know exactly how you're going to react when I tell you this. <laughs> okay. But this is true, and you'll see T-shirts about it. You see slogans about it, memes about it, and I never really put together what they were saying until I had it explained to me at length. There is a belief among. Bitcoin maximalists that uh, 
All wars in human history have been created by governments printing money. That's true. That is 100% true. That has never been, in the history of the world, a religious war. Uh, that's no. never happened. Uh, it's, so just, they, it's just various different levels of inflation. So, so let me walk you through this thought process. <sighs> the belief is that if, <laughs> if money can't be printed, if, if new money can't be printed, then governments can't afford to go to war because they can't spend the newly printed money on a war machine. Well, I, I, I have to point out that once Australia went to war with the emus. Right. And also, the emus did not print money. Yeah, I I was until last week under the assumption that war predated money, but apparently not. And so there is this belief among these groups of people who they think that they'll enter a golden age of human utopia because there'll be no more war once everyone is using Bitcoin because gut, because there's a finite amount of Bitcoin that be, that can be created and thus no ability to print new money to go to war. The most annoying thing about that, right, is that that is not as insane as it sounds. It's not, but it's, it is it's, insane, but it's, it's not. It is insane, but it's also kind of like, that's true, actually. Like, economies can be super inflationary during that those periods. Like, it helps that the government is piling money into it. But equally, for example, if there was some non-war-related disaster, I don't know, some sort of virus happened... that that covered the world you know something really wild like that and therefore the the governments of the world needed to pour a load of money into like you know keep people at home and like run pay for testing and and pay for like treating this virus i don't know just a wild thought this might happen that would be quite hard in this situation so you know hopefully that never happens well no they've they've figured this out which is that good good they the early adopters would have stores of bitcoin that they would lend with interest that's how the fuck do these people think economies work? So what they're trying to do, and I, and it, it, I, I can't remember the exact panel I was in because they all kind of blur together. But it was finally like it finally knocked me over my head with what they were what they were talking about, which is that they're trying to create a world in which they are barons that control basically like. So, so in a couple panels, the mask dropped fully and they would talk about generational wealth and they would tell the people in the audience that the only way to secure generational wealth is to buy Bitcoin now, because in the future, the people who have the most Bitcoin will act as the arbiters of the new economy and be lending out the Bitcoin for, for goods and services and linking together to create a new world order. That's what they're trying to do. So they're essentially pitching themselves as future robber barons. Yeah. What if a feudal baron was also the only way to lend money and you oh, no, no, use no, I, that? I, I, I'm, I'm thinking like the Vanderbilts and stuff from the US oh, in the 1920s. Like but I'm that. also talking about a feudal baron. Like they, they want yeah, to yeah. live in like a comp. Like, and this is also why, and this, this is where things got very dark for me. A lot of the panels featured people in countries like El Salvador, in uh, Ghana, Senegal, talking about Mexico, talking about how they're using Bitcoin in those countries and how Bitcoin is making their lives better and how they're investing in Bitcoin housing projects. And I, I think it's largely because what they're trying to do is they're trying to link up communities in developing countries into 
an absolutely fucked up money lending system that they can exploit for for future gains. Yeah, this is this is super dark. I don't like this. And they would all clap, and everyone would be like, "That's so amazing!" And they'd have these people from they they, they would have these people from Senegal, from Ghana, from El Salvador, uh, up on stage talking about how much it means to them that they can use Bitcoin. And what's crazy is that like if you walk that thought process through. The Bitcoin still has to stop being Bitcoin at some point to be used as money because there's no there's no value for Bitcoin. Bitcoin is determined by the value of other currencies because no labor or materials are 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 paid for in Bitcoin. So if you build a house in Senegal, eventually that house has to be valued in something other than Bitcoin because there is no value for lumber in Satoshi's. There's no pre, there's no, there's no, like if you buy a, a hamburger in Bitcoin, that hamburger's price is determined by dollars because the cheese, the meat, the bread, the employee making it, they're all paid for in dollars. So this idea that things are even being done in Bitcoin is not even accurate. Yeah. And, you know, more to the point, you know, the fuel barons owned a vast quantity of land and they rented it out. And the robber barons owned vast quantities of, you know, oil and, and steel and all this stuff. And Bitcoin is not one of those things, which, yeah, I don't, it's a very dark thing to just be like a bunch of people, billionaires, essentially what they're looking at is they're saying Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk exist. We don't think what they've produced is of the value that they say it is. Therefore we will transfer the concept of them being dollar billionaires into me being a Bitcoin billionaire. And I will be this person now. It is a, yes. it's not just a get rich quick scheme. It's a get, I mean, I mean, maybe this is the thing behind all get rich quick schemes. Like people actually don't want, you know, stability and the ability to give their send their kids to a good school and uh, make sure their house is secure and all that stuff. What they actually want is 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 domination over other people, and that's what the get rich quick thing is about. Which it's I think, also yeah, maybe for some it is. It's also why they're obsessed with cancel culture, right? Because it is a power base that they cannot control. Yes, and they believe that if they own enough Bitcoin, and if Bitcoin becomes a powerful enough currency in the world, they can use it to shut out any other form of power. And so they believe that Bitcoin would free them. Like I listened to this podcast guy. He's called like the Bitcoin podcast godfather, some podfather, I don't know, some some guy. And he was just ranting about how Bitcoin supported podcasts can never be censored. And would give ultimate power to Bitcoiners. But that's just not true. Because I, I actually think that they have a fairly rational understanding of a few things, which is one, like they understand that dark money runs the world. So what they're really saying is they're saying that if they, if they control the source of the money and the kind of money being used, they can use it to influence the world around them, but they want to smash down every other barrier for that. So they want to get rid of the Fed. They want to get rid of banks. They want to get rid of governments and they want to recreate the world to, to basically be a, a series of super privatized compounds in Arizona and Florida where people live in timeshares and rent money from their feudal Lord to do goods and services. That's what that's what these people want. Truly. But, I get that they want that, but also the logic behind it does not make any sense. It is wish fulfillment. It is saying, be on the right side now, because in the future, this will make sense. Which, really, when you get down to it, is is just QAnon. It's just saying, you know, 
Trump will come again, the storm will come and sweep everyone out and you'll have been on the right side. Right. And it's just saying you'll be on the right side because you'll have Bitcoin. And it is the same as this, it's the same as every conspiracy, it's the same as anti-vaxxers who are saying, uh, yeah, no, you, you want to be on the right side of this because it's a crime against human history. It's it's, it's putting everyone on the right side of, human, of history, even though the thing that they're on the right side of is, is patently insane. Yeah. And I should say that like the Bitcoin maximalists at this thing are not i would they i would not say they're the majority of who was there but they were the majority of the people on stage that's i mean that's yeah it is important that those are kind of like they're not the extreme voices necessarily but they're the loud voices yeah like i met a bunch of normal people there who got into bitcoin kind of the same way my dad did which was they were bored in the pandemic and it seemed like a fun thing to try to do and they're not and, and i i i i want to sort of push slightly against this narrative that Bitcoin is going to destroy people's lives when it crashes. I came away from this conference being like, oh, it seems like actually for the most part, the people who are squirreling away money into Bitcoin, they don't really seem to think it's going to like stick around or last. Like they don't really, like I didn't meet a lot of people who are like, I've put all my money into Bitcoin and this is all like, now, do I get nervous about Bitcoin mortgages, Bitcoin retirement firms? I saw a lot of that stuff, and that stuff makes me really creeped out because that is just that's just elder abuse at that point. But I did not meet a ton of people who seemed like they would be completely ruined financially if Bitcoin went away tomorrow. It seemed more like a plaything for the middle class. That's kind of the feeling I had. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's like anything. It's like kind of, if you're investing in Lululemon or, or, or like a bunch of pyramid schemes, for example, you're doing the same thing where it's like, oh, this is a fun thing. Might make some money out of it. Seems like a fun like way to get out of the house and stuff. But simultaneously, there's like a, there's a scam going on at some level. There is. And, and you know, you bring that up to people there, you know, the, the Jordan B. Peterson day, I talked to all kinds of people who... They seem to know there was some kind of scam, although you meet other people who are who are completely immune to that. I will say, I didn't meet a mean person at this thing. I really didn't. Even even when I would say to them, like, hey, I don't believe in what you're doing. Yeah. Or or if I even said, like, I'm a journalist and I'm trying to talk to you. I didn't really have any issues with that. I It was not the vibe that I was worried like worried for. I, I was thinking, okay, maybe this will be like a QAnon conference. Maybe this will be like a far-right rally. But for the most part, it seemed like people really wanted to, to debate it and talk about it in in a fairly good faith way. And so that brings me to the last day of the conference, which was okay. the fourth day of the conference. And that was an outdoor music festival. It good, was good. Extraordinarily grim. Who was, who was playing? The headliner was Steve Aoki and, and Run the Jewels. Killer Mike is uh, is a Bitcoin guy, I guess. That's really disappointing. Steve Aoki, I'm not sure if he's a bit. I think he is a Bitcoin guy, but I also know for a fact that he just has like a residence in the W Hotel in Miami that he just lives in sometimes. With and I think Diplo does too. So it could have just been a thing where he just came. He was by. Just, he was coincidentally there. Yeah, you know, and that's when I talked to some libertarian YouTubers who would not go on the record because they did not want to expose their identity. And they were talking to me about how they were worried about being demonetized on YouTube. And so their plan is to create a bunch of sneakily conservative history videos and just <laughs> SEO the hell out of them so that students find them for years and they just make passive income that way. Good. Okay. That's... Oh boy. Okay. Right. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and they were very excited about Bitcoin. 
and they said that Ethereum isn't money, it's technology, but Bitcoin is money. Like, what the fuck? I, the, the way that they're anti other cryptos is, I think, really fascinating. It is. Like, the idea that Bitcoin's the only version of crypto that can exist is sure, okay. Well, there is some drama in the Ethereum subreddit over the weekend when a clip of a video went viral in there. I, I'm in the audience for this. They asked the audience, who here owns Bitcoin? And everyone's hand went up. And then they said, who here owns Ethereum? And everyone's hand went back up. And then the people on stage started booing. And the people in the Ethereum subreddit were like, get fucked. You know, we like everyone owns both. Uh, and then, but then the then the original poster of that post got banned from the Ethereum subreddit for saying that everyone in our Ethereum also owns Bitcoin. And apparently, the Ethereum Maximus, <laughs> apparently the Ethereum Maximalist who who runs the Ethereum subreddit banned them for that. Sure. Okay. Great. Fuck's sake. Yeah, it, it's all this stuff that I really did not have a good handle on before I went to this, which is I just sort of assumed like crypto's crypto, but they really don't see it that way. And I think it's largely because Ethereum people. Because of the nature of the way Ethereum works, they're more interested in doing things with it, tokenizing it, using it to run small startups, trying to create new apps, uh, decentralized apps or video games. They're woke is what you're saying. Well, that apparently everyone who loves Ethereum is uh, uh, got purple hair and pronouns is what they said. That's true. I don't have pronouns. I don't have pronouns because I love Bitcoin. After the second day, I was like, okay, what is this? Like, what, what is, what is this, what is the Bitcoin community? And there was a panel called the Bitcoin community. So I was like, oh, okay, let's, let's go find out what it is. It was an, it was a half hour long talk about building 3D printed homes in El Salvador. That's what the, that's what the Bitcoin community was. And it was okay. all about using the, the power of Bitcoin to fund uh, fairly expensive real estate projects in the global South, which I think is extremely dark and also not really answering the question. It's like, that's not, that's not the big, that's not, that's just the real estate community. <laughs> that's, <Yeah. laughs> that's the 3d printed house community. And, and yeah. I think that like, there's a true void at the center of the Bitcoin movement because they have nothing to talk about other than I'm buying Bitcoin and it's up or down today. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I don't understand how you end up in that position where that's the main thing that you're looking at. Yeah. In the expo center, not near the anti-Semitic artwork or the tattoo parlor, we're just like tons of vendors and they're selling things like they're selling a lot of Bitcoin tracking apps. They're selling mining rigs. They're selling like you could walk into a trailer and experience what it would be like to be in a Bitcoin mining center. There was a ton of, you know, interest rate apps and uh, mortgage finder apps, like tons of like software as a service platforms for Bitcoin. Yeah. Which I thought was really weird because it's just so boring. <laughs> like I, yeah, there's, there's nothing to it. It's it was like going to a finance convention. It was like go. It, it was truly like going to like a 1990s banking conference. It was bizarre how boring it was. I thought there'd be way more freaks. I thought it'd be way more interesting. I I, I thought that there was only one person there dressed up like a bored ape. Obviously, because they hate bored apes. They hate NFTs. Yeah. All the exciting stuff that would have been more interesting, they hate. They just want the Bitcoin. They just want the gold. 
So what you're saying is you'd have rather gone to that one in Austin where they had all the cool stuff on the walls that you could do things with NFTs with. I think so. I, I, I'm not really sure what I want out of it, to be honest, other than kind of actually what I got out of this, which is I wanted to go in and I wanted to understand this world better. And I'm probably going to go to more crypto events this year because I did walk away with a bunch of really cool stories that I, I'm going to be freelancing out for different places. Yeah. And I met a lot of nice people and I met like people who I think helped me understand this beyond the stuff you see on Twitter. Because I think for the for most people who probably listen to this show, their main interface with the world of crypto are like accounts sharing hilarious cringe stories of people using cryptocurrency, right? Yeah, it's yeah, everyone losing their crypto because, I don't know, someone tripped over and fell in a puddle and somehow they lost a billion dollars doing it. Right. And it's not clear how. And I don't find that to be true of the real life people involved with this. I think there's a, no. like very hilarious examples and they, you know, they're real, they happened, but, and I, and I, and I understand the people who are morally opposed to the very idea of crypto and they get so angry at the idea that this exists that they can't even really think straight. That's fine. That's not really what I'm after. I'm after, I'm trying to understand these people like a subculture in the same way that I used to read about furries or bronies or any other yeah. kind of, degenerate group of perverts i i i, I include <laughs> i include the crypto people in the same category of of internet user and i'm desperate to understand these people so this was also interesting to me i got the impression that the consumer level investors the people who were bored during covid and, and downloaded coinbase uh i don't get the impression that those people are on the same page as the bitcoin maximalists who want to overthrow the governments of the world and become right. like techno barons. Right. Okay, that makes sense. I mean And I and I even asked a few people. I was like, "Do you like do you want to get rid of banks? Like do you want to get rid of the government?" And they're like, "No, I just want to make money." I mean, this is it though. There's a bunch of people there who are not bitcoin maximalists but who are just like, "Yeah, no, I'm into bitcoin for a bit until I make enough money and then I'm bored." Yeah. You know, it's like and and part of me is like, "Okay, like fine. Like you're like I I'm I'm telling you I am dead fucking scared of the Bitcoin maximalist people because what they're trying to accomplish is horrifying and they're really, they really believe they can do it. And part of me thinks like part of me now wants to take them more seriously than I've ever taken any internet movement seriously because of what I saw. Interesting. This week. Yeah. I mean, they, they do have one weapon that all the other internet movements ha have not had, which is that they have money by their own nature. They, they can do things. This is the thing. Like what if Occupy Wall Street generated money for every new member that joined the movement. Yeah. Yeah, they would have made some different decisions. I mean, actually, you can replace that with any decentralized movement. What if, I, well, K-pop actually kind of operates that way, I suppose, but any fandom, any internet subculture, if your participation was directly corollary to the amount of money the most diehard members of that community had, which is kind of the way it works with Bitcoin, even through ups and downs. That's a terrifying idea. That's basically saying like the most toxic super posters in your community become more powerful with every new casual member you add. Yes, that's good. That's that's the dream of all communities. It's the dream for these people. I did not stay. The big question, obviously, is uh, did I stay for Steve, A Steve Aoki? I did not stay for Steve Aoki. Interesting. But I will tell you that in between acts of the music festival, they played clips from the mom of the guy who was arrested and sentenced to two consecutive life sentences for running the Silk Road. Oh, that's 
good. I don't. I don't even know anymore. Like it's there were posters about him all over the convention, and there was a group of people dressed up like pirates who were playing ukulele and handing out like pamphlets about freeing him from jail. Okay, so they're also still doing the full-on libertarian. You should be able to buy kid- human kidneys on the internet. Cool. Well, they they don't want like they don't want law enforcement. They don't want governments. They don't want banks. They and, and they see all of that as one entity. They see the the world of traditional governance and finance as one thing that they want to destroy and replace with their own private fiefdoms. And they're not they're not scared of saying that, they're not embarrassed of saying that, and they're like they that's really what they want. Like there's no other version of it actually. Yeah, I mean this feels bad. All right. You're going to sum up <laughs> You're going to sum it up in a word. How is how is how was Bitcoin this week? What is what is your word? Bitcoin. Well, it's it's not doing well right now. <laughs> not Bitcoin, doing well. Bitcoin, right. Bitcoin completely completely tanked after the conference. <laughs> that's good. That's 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 yeah. That's exactly what you want, isn't it? Yeah. Come out of a conference with your, everything tanking. How do you feel about Bitcoin right now? I mean, I think better because I think that it's 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 always been very hard to tell. Is everyone getting involved in Bitcoin? This sort of you know, a Bitcoin maximalist, like kind of a, uh, an extremist about it, or is it broadly speaking, not that, but there's a few people involved who's like, Ooh boy. And it seems pretty clear. It's the latter where it's like a smaller segment of it. And I think that's good. Like, I, I don't know, like people get bored easily. Yeah. Like I, and I, I, the one thing of kind of everything of all time that is true is that eventually people get bored of it. That is true. That is like the, <laughs> that is the universal, that is the universal constant. It's being fucked around with like algorithms and platforms and all this other stuff. But then ultimately after a while, people sort of get a bit bored. And like, there's going to be a point when, I don't know, a bunch of people investing in Bitcoin are going to be like 25 year olds right now who are like, yeah, man, I'm going to put all my money into this. It's going to be great. And in five years time, they're going to be, you know, doing something else. They're going to be wanting to buy a house. They're going to be wanting to move city and they refurb like furnish your apartment or whatever and they're gonna uh, i'm gonna sell a bunch of this bitcoin because like it's not really gone anywhere in the last few years and it'll just sort of drift away because people will get bored of it and i don't know I just, it seems like that people it's, uh, last week i was more i was more concerned about it. this week i'm less because i think that most people are gonna get bored i i i i have that feeling as well i think it's very possible that <laughs> I think that it'll either peter out over the next five years or it'll fundamentally change the nature of being alive to a degree in which we live in hell. Yes, that sounds correct. I want to end this with a New York Post headline that was published this morning, which reads, Bitcoin fans are psychopaths who don't care about anyone, <laughs> study shows. <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. Hey, Luke, have you consumed any content to stay sane this week? Yeah, I want to talk about the Always Sunny in Philadelphia podcast. Oh, cool. I have not listened to it yet, but I have friends who are listening to it, and they have lots of thoughts about it. So I, I feel like I'm prepared to talk about it. Cool. Uh, and have you consumed any content that is non not Bitcoin related this weekend? Not really, except 
I have fallen back in love with podcasts. Oh. So I want to talk about Blank Check and Maintenance Phase. Okay, cool. Which are two podcasts that I've been binging on various plane journeys. So let's shit talk some other podcasts behind a paywall. Let's do it. Let's yeah, do it. Yeah, let's do it. All right. You guys can listen to that by heading over to thecontentminds.com or thecontentminds.com slash subscribe. It will give you access to all of our various mini-sodes, which we do every week. It's about 15 minutes, and it's a nice little nice little parasocial wind-down with me and Luke, uh, and it helps helps keep the show running and uh, making sure everything sounds good and is organized as typically it is for this show. Very well-organized show, I think. Uh, we're not going to talk about crypto probably for a while, unless something super crazy happens. Um, so next yeah. week we'll be, we'll be changing gears. Thank you guys for listening to our little mini series. Uh, and I'm going to collect the three episodes. So like in this most recent show notes, you can see like how to listen back if you're just hearing us for the first time. Um, and so thank you guys for supporting us. Thank you guys for listening. And thank you to seven Morris for the lovely and beautiful soundscapes that he has edited into this show. All right, let's go. Let's go talk about some other podcasts now. All right, let's do this. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.